Good morning. And happy birthday, America. No, you're America. You could say, yeah. Happy birthday, America. Say, well, thank you. Or we could say together, happy birthday, America. Ready? One, two, three. Happy birthday, America. America is 234 years old. Can you believe it? On this day, yes, 234 years ago today, the Continental Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence to formally announce that the 13 American colonies were no longer part of the British Empire, but would henceforth, they like to use words like henceforth, but would henceforth be free and independent states. And so, as you know, Americans set aside this day to celebrate our independence and our freedom. And so this past week especially, I've been thinking about what it means to be free. Because freedoms not only have special meaning for what it means to be an American, but freedom also has special meaning for what it means to be a Christian. Freedom is a pervasive theme in the Bible. Earlier this year when we studied Exodus, we saw freedom emphasized as God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. And on Easter, Resurrection Day, which is really Independence Day for the Kingdom of Heaven, we celebrate the freedom that we now have in Christ, freedom from slavery to sin. And freedom is indeed something that human beings crave. Jill and I took our kids to the Rockies game this past Friday night, and um, during the fireworks that followed the game, as is their wont, they played lots of patriotic music while the rockets red glared overhead. And I was intrigued that of all the patriotic songs they played, there was only one song one song that got the crowd to sing along without even trying to get the crowd to sing along, which is, you know, quite a task. And everyone even applauded after the song ended. And only one song got that unsolicited reaction from the crowd. It was Lee Greenwood's amazing song, God Bless the USA. And the line from that only song, at least only one that got the crowd to spontaneously burst into singing, where everyone joined in, the line that came ringing out from that song, and I know many of you, if not all of you, have at least heard it somewhere, right? It's the one that goes, and I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm Free, yeah. That's the line everyone wanted to sing and knew so well. There's something about liberty, something about independence, something about freedom that causes human beings to respond and to turn their heads and to be drawn to. And so I've been thinking about what it means to be free. What is freedom? The consensus of of all the many different definitions of freedom I read this week is something like the following. Freedom is the power to think and to act without constraint. 
or because thinking and acting describes really what it means to be alive, freedom is the power to live without constraint. When I have the power to think and do without constraint, when I can live my life how I want to, I am free. I have freedom. And what really jumped out at me from that definition of freedom and from almost all of them, all of them was the idea that freedom is power. I never really thought about freedom that way before, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought, wow, that is dead on. Freedom is power. I'm sure that's behind why people crave freedom so much. We like power. And so just like power... Freedom then becomes a means to something and not an end. Say, what do I mean by that? Well, no one strives for power simply to have power, right? No one says, I want power simply so I can have it. Look at the power I have. Now, we we want power so we can use it. So we can do something with it. Power's wasted if it's not used. What good is power if it's not used? And so power is a means to something else. It's not an end. And so too with freedom. Freedom is a means and not an end. Freedom, like other forms of power, is to be used or it loses its value. And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. In celebrating freedom, it can quickly become an end rather than a means to an end. Hooray! We're free! Well, that's great, but now what? It seems to me that's the critical question, isn't it? Now that you have your freedom, what will you do with it? What will we do with our freedom? And you know, I'm not only talking about freedom as Americans, I'm also talking about the freedom we have in Christ. Christians need to be asking the same question as Americans. The critical freedom question for Christians is, what will we do with our freedom in Christ? Hooray! We're saved! Well, that's great! And it truly is great. But now what? Now that we have our salvation, what will we do with it? If freedom is a power, and like power, a means and not an end, then our freedom as Americans, our freedom in Christ, both are to be used. And if that freedom is not used, then, we're, then it's wasted. We're free as Americans, and we're free as Christians. And the critical question then becomes, what will we do with our freedom? Well, probably won't come as any surprise to most of you at least. God is all over this question. He tells us exactly what to do with our freedom, whether as Americans or as Christians. Jesus summarizes the entire Bible, all that God has to say in his word by telling us what to do with our freedom. Did you know? We are, God says, to use our freedom 
to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our might, and love others as ourselves. Wow, there we are at Shema again. Jesus was certainly right. Go figure. When he said that all of God's words rest on these two commands, there is just no getting around Shema. All roads, all questions about living life lead to that same mandate for God's people. Love God and love others, period. At the Rockies game, it was, um, it was also interesting that almost everyone knew Almost everyone knew and sang that line, and I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. But then the next line to the song, almost everyone muddled. Right? You know how that goes. Everybody's, and I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. And I'll gladly stand up. I mean, you know. Almost no one, by comparison, even knew that next line, or at least they didn't sing it with you know, the same zest or passion. So I'm going to test you. You get to compete with the Rockies crowd last Friday night. We'll see how you all do. So we're going to sing that verse and see if you can finish it better than the Rockies crowd did. Okay, are you ready? Okay, so help me out. Well, let me hear you. Ready? And I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free and nice okay give yourselves a hand you blow the Rockies crowd away although you knew it a little bit less and some of your brothers and sisters sensed that so they sang a little louder And I thought it fascinating that at least everyone around me and kind of the, the noise of the crowd as a whole, that everyone knew really well the first line about American pride and about being free. But the next line, the one that's about sacrificial love associated with freedom, people using their freedom in service to others, well... Not so much. It's fascinating. And telling, perhaps? Have we forgotten that our freedom as Americans was purchased with the blood of others and in turn we should be willing to make similar sacrifices for others with our freedom too? And when Christians fail to use the power of freedom... When believers fail to use the freedom of their salvation sacrificially in love, when we're content to rest on our salvation as the end rather than a means, when we do that, my brothers and sisters, have we forgotten that our freedom in Christ was purchased with the blood of Jesus and in turn we should be willing to make similar sacrifices for others with our freedom too? Most of us, I'll bet, in the room this morning can articulate and recite well the theological truth that Jesus died for our salvation. But isn't that really an incomplete thought? One that makes our salvation, our freedom in Christ, 
an end rather than also the means that God intends it to be? Shouldn't we instead say with the same vigor and same passion that Jesus died for our salvation so that we could love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our might and love our neighbors as ourselves? See, if we don't get that, absorb that, make that who we are in Christ, our salvation becomes an end and not the means God intended it to be. That is, the end of freeing us to love God and others as a witness of our God and His love for His people. And our freedom in Christ gets wasted if we rest on our salvation as an end because it's not used. The past several weeks, we've been seeing how even secular movies can be used to point people to God. And so naturally, for the 4th of July, the movie I picked this morning is one about the French Revolution. (laughs) What can I say? I like a challenge, or or a challenge, I guess I should say. It's the extent of my French. The movie is Les Miserables, and there will come a day when I do a sermon, an entire sermon series on the musical Les Mis, but not today. This morning... This morning we'll just look at the movie and only one or two themes among the many powerful themes in this story. And I chose this however French movie because I'm hard-pressed to come up with another that answers our question this morning any better than this one. What will we do with our freedom? An added bonus in the movie is that the church is actually depicted as heroic in this secular movie. Can you believe it, ladies and gentlemen? Not something you see every day coming out of Hollywood. And as before in the series, John and Manda have once again prepared a video summary of the movie for us. It's always the moment you've been waiting for. But before we look at it, I just want to let John and Manda know, if you're listening, that I'm on to you. Because the first summary you did was four minutes. The next two were six, and now this one this morning is nine minutes long. So, John and Amanda, I am on to your subversive plan to take over the entire service minute by minute. (laughs) Shameful, don't you think? (laughs) Actually, the story is very complicated. Several stories wrapped around and within other stories, and for them... To get it down to nine minutes is once again sheer genius on their part. But you're going to have to pay attention through this summary or you will be hopelessly and forever lost somewhere in the French Revolution. So we're going to roll it, but are you ready? All right, let's watch. Here's everything you need to know about Les Miserables in nine minutes, three seconds. The movie opens with a travel-weary man who has made a street bench in a small French town his bed. Forced from his resting place by a passerby, he seeks refuge at a nearby church. The bishop invites him in despite his gruff confession. I'm a convict. My name is Jean Valjean. Monsieur, you're welcome to eat with us as my guest. He gives Jean Valjean food and a bed for the night. 
But during the middle of the night, Jean Valjean is awoken by nightmarish flashbacks of the time he spent during his 19 years in prison under the watch of a particularly cruel guard. Rather than go back to sleep, Jean Valjean sneaks through the bishop's house and steals his silverware. The bishop wakes up. Jean Valjean knocks him out and runs from the house. When the police arrive at the church, the bishop surprises Jean Valjean and his captors. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. Jean Valjean makes a promise to the bishop. Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Nine years go by. A French government official named Javert travels to a small town to take his new post as inspector. You may recall his face from aforementioned nightmarish flashbacks. The inspector asks to be introduced to the town mayor, Monsieur Lamar. But Lamar is not the mayor's real name. His real name is Jean Valjean. And while the inspector does not recognize him, he certainly recognizes the inspector. While touring the town, Javert learns that it is because of the mayor's concern for the people that the town has flourished. Meanwhile, Jean Valjean, now a wealthy man, empties his bank accounts and hides his money in the forest. The headmistress of the factory owned by Valjean confronts him with incriminating information that one of his female workers has a child out of wedlock. Distracted by the appearance of Javert, he allows the headmistress to decide how to handle the situation. She fires the woman, Fantine, despite her pleadings for mercy. You're dismissing me for having a child and you ask why... You're not being dismissed for having a child. You're being dismissed for having a child out of wedlock and then pretending to be an honest woman. I have to earn money to feed her. The woman is forced into prostitution in an effort to pay for her daughter's care. One night, Fantine is cruelly punished and arrested by Javert. Valjean releases Fantine in direct opposition to Javert and brings her into his home to care for her. Fantine is very ill with tuberculosis and asks Valjean to care for her daughter, Cosette, who lives in another town. He promises to retrieve her from her caretakers and raise her as his own daughter. When an elderly man is trapped under a cart, Valjean races to help him. The inevitable moment now at hand, Javert recognizes Valjean. Javert begins to investigate Valjean, but despite his best efforts, can turn up no evidence against him. But when Valjean discovers that a man has been arrested and identified it as the parole violator, Jean Valjean, a crime for which the sentence is life in prison, Valjean attends the hearing and admits his true identity. I am the man you want. I am Jean Valjean. Now with a warrant issued for his arrest and Javert hot on his trail, Valjean hurries to fetch Cosette. He finds Cosette in much less favorable conditions than her mother had believed. I feed your greedy little mouth. Do I get thanks? No, I get smart answers. Now get to work. He takes her from her abusive home, and together they race to Paris, where Javert has set up a watch for Valjean's coming. Valjean and Cosette jump from rooftop to rooftop until they reach the courtyard of a Catholic school for girls. Javert attempts to search the school, but the headmistress refuses him access. 
Valjean appeals to the school's gardener, who is the same man he saved from beneath the carriage not too long before. Valjean and the man concoct a cover story. Valjean is the gardener's brother named Lafitte and the newest member of the convent's gardening team. Cosette is his daughter and will attend the school. Together they live in the convent for the entirety of Cosette's education. But Cosette decides she does not want to take her vows and become a nun. Valjean concedes to her wishes, and they move into a house in Paris City. Javert has become an official in Paris, and now spends his time keeping track of the student revolutionaries, and specifically their leader, Marius. But it is not only Javert's eye that Marius has caught. He also catches the attention of Cosette. The two begin a secret romance. But because Javert is trailing Marius, he finds them out and decides to do the honorable thing. And I think he deserves to know that his daughter has been seduced by a dangerous radical. When Javert visits Valjean's house, Valjean instructs Cosette to tell him he is away. Javert leaves a note telling Valjean of Cosette's escapades with Marius. Valjean becomes upset and he and Cosette argue. She asks him why he became so frightened when Javert came to visit. Valjean tells Cosette of his sordid past. When I was young, just your age, I was very poor. I was starving. One day I stood in front of a window, a window full of bread. So I broke it and took what I wanted. And then they caught me and put me in chains for almost 20 years. Meanwhile, Javert begins to investigate Valjean, who he knows as Lafitte. Valjean is once again known by Javert, but Valjean is one step ahead of Javert and has moved to another house before Javert can reach him. But Javert knows how to find Valjean, follow Marius to Cosette. Cosette tells Marius that she is moving with Valjean to England to escape Javert. The following day, a riot of the revolutionaries incites a violent response from the Paris military. Javert disguises himself as a revolutionary and follows Marius to Cosette. Marius catches Javert following him and takes him to the revolutionary's outpost. Witnessing Cosette's misery over leaving Marius, Valjean goes to find Marius. But what he finds first is Javert tied up in the revolutionary's outpost. The revolutionaries want blood. They give Valjean a gun and instruct him to kill Javert in the alley. Valjean takes Javert to the alley where they have a heart-to-heart. Why couldn't you leave me alone? I'm nothing. I'm no one. Yes. But you've managed to beat me. I'm not trying to beat you. I want to live in peace. Then hurry up. Kill me. You're dead, Javert. Marius is injured in the fighting, and Valjean rescues him from the soldiers, who intend to kill all revolutionaries. They escape through the sewers, but Javert is on Valjean's trail. Valjean is caught by Javert. He strikes a bargain with the smug official. It's me you want? Yes. Arrest me. Let him go. Valjean delivers Marius to the anxious Cosette and says a last goodbye before returning to Javert. Valjean returns to Javert. Javert dismisses the guards. Javert is poised to enact justice upon Valjean, but before he does, he makes a final confession. I'm going to spare you from a life in prison, Jean Valjean. It's a pity the rules don't allow me to be merciful. I've tried to live my life without breaking a single rule. 
You're free. Unable to live in a world in which law is not kept to the letter, unable to live in a world where Valjean lives free, unable to live in a world in which he is the giver of mercy, Javert willfully dies, and Valjean is finally, truly free. There's so much there. I'm tempted to do that sermon series now. You got a couple hours? No. <laughs> we'll limit it to what we're talking about this morning. As you saw, Jean Valjean is a convicted thief who's given another chance at freedom. And what does he do with it? He blesses an entire town by running a generous and reputable business and being a for the people mayor. He shows incredible empathy and mercy to a single mom turned prostitute out of necessity. He provides a loving home for her daughter when she dies. He has, a, he has to purchase her, in fact, from her foster parents. And when a helpless, confused man is mistakenly identified as Valjean and faces life imprisonment in his place, the real Jean Valjean forfeits an easy chance to be free from Javert and the law for good by coming forward and saying, no, not him. It's me you want. I'm Jean Valjean. And Valjean then finally offers his life in exchange for the freedom of a revolutionary boy that his daughter loves, a boy that's not his own. The man just relentlessly gives of himself for others, even refusing the easy chance at freedom in killing Javert in the back alley. Valjean makes excellent use of his freedom. He uses his freedom as a means to help others. He is so grateful at the chance he is given to be free that he can't help but give up his own life serving others. And oh, my brothers and sisters and my fellow Americans, might that be said of us. As Americans, yes, and especially as Christians, what will we do with our freedom, my brothers and sisters? Oh, may we too Use the power our freedom gives us to serve others. May we also can't help but give up ourselves for others. And I can't help but notice, those of you who have seen the film or the musical, just how incredibly blessed Valjean is because he uses his freedom as it should be used in service to others. His life's tough but also incredibly blessed because he gives. Proverbs 11.25 comes to mind. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. When we bring healing 
to others. We ourselves are healed. Did you know? That's a powerful truth that's realized when we use our freedom to love. Valjean goes from being deeply embittered and hopeless and wounded to his core to experiencing joy and contentment and even peace because he experiences the wonder of helping others. And the healing he offers to all those around him, the healing he offers in turn heals him, just like the Bible says. See, sometimes I think we confuse freedom with entitlement. We think our our freedom is an end of having rights to do what we want when we want. When I hear some people talk about freedom, it almost feels to me that's what their attitude toward freedom is. But, you know, life doesn't owe us that sort of right to do what we please. Instead, true freedom is not self-seeking. Freedom has nothing to do with selfishness. True freedom is well aware of what our words and actions do to those around us. So instead, freedom is a means. And as such, it's a formidable responsibility, this power of freedom. George Bernard Shaw once wrote, Liberty means responsibility. That is why most men dread it. It's difficult to be free because it's hard to use our freedom as God intends. Because it's so tough to see past ourselves to the needs of others. The Bible tells us that Jesus fulfilled the law Another great theological truth. What does that mean exactly? One way to look at it, at least, is that in keeping the law perfectly, he fulfilled the primary purpose of Torah, which is to witness God precisely and completely. God gave his people the law, his guide for living, with the idea that if they lived according to the law, they would witness God to the nations, witness to the world who God is and what He's like by how they lived in obedience. Now Israel didn't do so good for very long, and their witness of God stumbled. But in fulfilling the law, Jesus showed the world God perfectly, precisely, and completely. He showed the world that God is indeed love. He showed the world how much God loves people. And he did this by living out the very summary of the law that he gives to us. Jesus used his freedom to love God with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. And he used his freedom to love others as himself by giving his life for them. And my question for us this morning, on a day where we celebrate freedom, is will we? Will we use the power of our freedom to witness to the world who God is, whether as Americans or as Christians? Witness to the world who God is by loving Him with all of every part of us and by loving others as ourselves. 
And if we do, people of God, then that's a freedom that's worth celebrating. Not the freedom itself, but what freedom accomplishes in showing people God. Any other freedom isn't worth celebrating, in my opinion. But a freedom that results in showing the world God? Well, now that's a freedom to celebrate with sparklers and fireworks and barbecue, and not just on the 4th of July, but every day and always. So as we celebrate our freedom today, as Americans and as Christians, let's also ask ourselves, what will we do with our freedom? What will we do with the freedom that God gives us? What makes it worth celebrating? The answer needs to be loving God and loving others. That's what we're to do with our freedom, and that's what makes it worth celebrating. I'm going to do something a little bit different for the benediction today. So would you stand, please, for the benediction? Benediction is typically where we ask for God's blessing, and because I can't get Lee Greenwood's song out of my head, I found it um, uh, with a video. So we couldn't play it first service. I'm hoping it works second service. We had some technical difficulties, but whether it's just the music or with the pictures as well, I'm going to let Lee Greenwood, in his way, ask for God's blessing on America this morning, and then I'll close in prayer. Let's listen and watch, hopefully. And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas From sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. Where there's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say Defend 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, I know your prayer and hope is similar to all of our prayers and hopes here. The hope that our pride in being American is because of what Americans can do with the powerful freedom you have given to us. We know, Father, that America's record to date is mixed when tested against your intent and desire that our freedom be used to love you completely and to love others as ourselves all the time. And so, Father, I ask, I implore your blessing on America and on each person here today and ask, Father, that your blessing cause our hearts And Father, the heart of our country to turn to You and to You alone and to You completely in love and in obedience. Father, please don't allow us to fall into the trap of patriotism or freedom as in ends. The end of self-indulgence the end of doing what I want when I want, the end of feeling we deserve rights. Oh, Father, we're so grateful for the precious blessing of freedom that you've given us as Americans and for the even more precious freedom that you give us in Christ. And may we use your abundant blessing of freedom, Father, to singularly focus on loving you with all of every part of us all the time and that we do it in your number way of doing it, Father, by loving others as ourselves, as a country, as a church, and as individuals within each. We love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you next week.